Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you're listening. I'm recording this from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are listening to us today. Welcome to our Dietitian Connection podcast. My name's Jane Winter. Um, I'm from Dietitian Connection and I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. This month, February, is Gut Health Month, a national month to talk about common gut problems and the nutrition interventions that can help patients and clients feel better. We've seen that the awareness of and attitudes towards gut health, probiotics, prebiotics in Australian adults is rising. And consumer research tells us that many um, Australian adults report a willingness to try probiotics or prebiotics or increase their consumption, but only when recommended by a health professional, demonstrating the potential for dietitians to support their clients with improving their gut health. The change in consumer awareness and attitudes has led to Australian manufacturers discovering new options for prebiotic products, including breads, drinks and yogurts. And today I'm really pleased to be joined by Dr. Dr. Flavia Fayette-Moore to look at the research around consumption of fibre in Australia, the role of fibre and prebiotic fibre in improving gut health. And we'll take a closer look at the evidence around the prebiotic fibre inulin and its potential role in supporting gut health. Flavia is a dietitian whose career is dedicated to nutrition research that makes a public health impact. As CEO of Nutrition Research Australia, she oversees and supports teams of highly qualified researchers to undertake world-class research and specialises in communicating findings to ensure that they are translated to practice, which really is the most important component of research. Since completing her PhD from the University of Sydney, Flavia has focused her research and advocacy work on nutritional epidemiology, micronutrients and bioactives, using the findings to promote a food-first approach to address public health's biggest problems, including vitamin D deficiency, anemia and chronic disease. And our podcast today is supported by Bergen. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not and is not intended to be medical advice, which should be tailored to your individual circumstances. The podcast is for your information only, and we advise that you exercise your own judgment for deciding to use the information provided. Professional medical advice should be obtained before taking action. So welcome to you today, Flavia. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jane. So Flavia, you've had a, an interesting journey as a dietitian, and I'd love you to tell us a bit more about your passion for nutrition research, because I guess um, research is not necessarily a path that dietitians might seek out initially. I guess um, I've just always been curious about understanding the why of our recommendations as dietitians. And I have this passion of understanding from like a biochemistry level, why it's important to eat certain foods that ultimately affects our health. And I find that in research, you can impact so many more people than in private practice, because I loved that creativity on how can we translate that message into something that 
can, you know, with one minute, I could potentially reach 1 million people. Whereas in my private practice, I could potentially in detail reach 7,000. So having that combination of loving creativity, loving translation, and at the same time, having that inner nerd of, I want to know why, I kind of combined the two to really the research that ultimately can be translated for, for impact. Yeah, and I guess um, hopefully the people listening to us today might be working in private practice and can use your research findings um, exactly. to influence their, their clients that, individually. That's my ultimate goal, right, is to get <laughs> it into people to actually use research because if it's just published in a peer review and then no one picks it up or doesn't understand it, then that's a lot of money wasted and a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. So can you tell us um, a bit more about some of the research that you and your team have done in the area of gut health and, and some of the outcomes of that research? Of course. So we've done so much research in the fibre space and it's there's overwhelming data that just Australians and many people around the world aren't consuming enough dietary fibre. The, the data from the ABS shows just how low it is. So the, the average intake is about 18 to 20 grams between children and adults. And we know we need to be eating around 25 to 30 grams per day. And if you actually want health benefits to prevent, you know, cardiovascular disease and diabetes, then it's even higher at 28, 38 grams per day. So we're nowhere near those targets. But what's interesting is that the, the people that are meeting the targets are the young two to three-year-olds. So I think it's, you know, it's where they're, we're giving them lots of fruits and veggies and whole grains and nuts. And then all of a sudden it starts dropping and then it never comes back. So there's a real opportunity to increase fiber intake, which is obviously very important for, for gut health. And it's not that hard. You know, a lot of people think, oh, it's such a big number. I'll never be able to achieve it. But if you're actually consuming core foods, you can achieve it. And it's actually not hard if most of your diet is core rather than discretionary. So just to give some examples, right? So let's say there's about four to five grams in half a cup of oats that maybe you have for breakfast, two slices of wholemeal bread that you might have for lunch. Then you might have wholemeal pasta, half a cup, which has about four to five. You know, in reality, most people probably have one. Mm. <laughs> That's already, so you're already at 20 just on grains. Then you add a cup of cooked veggies and then your two pieces of fruit and you're nearly 30 grams already. It's, you know, and snack on a handful of nuts. It's really not that hard, but you've got to, be doing it and eating those foods. Yeah, it's interesting that we start off with the best intentions with our children and, you know, it's all about fruits and vegetables and all those sorts of foods and then you see this drop-off, which I guess is generationally happening because then the adults yeah. aren't eating it as well. So, so from my research, the group that had the least or the least likely, likely to meet targets were your teenagers to young adults, right? So it's really can we link that two to three-year-old to adulthood, and I think then we're set. So yeah. it's it's really, it, it just got to normalize, right, eating those foods and, and getting enough fiber because it's extremely important for gut health, which is which is why we're here. So, you know, fiber is not just important for, for motility of the gut and gut function. So helping, you know, bulk up stools and helping to make it softer, make you more regular, but it also benefits digestive health. So it helps with maintaining normal blood glucose levels and normal lipid levels, so cholesterol lowering. 
And we also know that it's directly related to developing disease. The, the number one killer in Australia is cardiovascular disease. And there's strong evidence that if you get enough fiber, you're at lower risk of developing cardiovascular disease. And, and we know now that it's beyond just you know, the, the functional role of fiber in gut health, but it's also linked to our immune function, mental health, metabolic health, bone health, skin health. It's, um, it's important for you know more than just specifically what we usually know fiber for which yeah. is just keeping it regular <laughs> <laughs> yes and, and we've done also some investigation into the economic side of um, a higher fiber intake as well can you tell us a bit about that sure so it's also good for economy <laughs> to get enough fiber so just in our modeling which the conservative let's say was 10 percent increase in fiber intake it would save millions of dollars per year in costs associated with the healthcare system in the reduction that you'll see in cardiovascular and type 2 diabetes. So to put into perspective, a 10% increase is really like two grams. So, oh, yeah. you know, half a piece of fruit more a day or like half a slice of bread. So it's not a lot. So we can actually have a huge impact on our health, but also on our economy because of the savings on improving our health. Yeah, yeah, which is a really, really powerful argument. Um, so, okay, so overall Australians are not eating enough fibre or not meeting the sort of guidelines that have been set down. So what have you found, found in terms of where Australians are actually getting fibre from? So overall, from the ABS data, you know, it's really clear that most Australians are getting their fibre from cereal and cereal products. So that's your breads, pasta, rice, breakfast cereals. Um, and it's up to 30% of their fiber coming just from those groups. But remembering that fiber intake is really low, right? Mm. <laughs> so 30% of a low value is still low, but it, it is the top source. But also remembering that 30% of our energy is coming from discretionary foods. So just replacing those foods with core by default will result in greater fiber intakes. And there is even evidence from the Australian Burden of Disease study showing that it's actually low intake of whole grains and high fiber cereals that were the leading dietary uh, disease factor um, followed by fruits, nuts, and seeds. So if, if you just increase whole grains and higher fiber cereals, it will help with that burden of disease that we have. So it's nice that what we're already eating as a top source is potentially what could have the most public health impact followed by fruits, nuts, and seeds. But in our research specifically, we published two papers just profiling like the fact that two to three are highest consumers of fiber. We looked at um, what were they consuming? What were the top food groups between those that were really high consumers of fibers and those that weren't? And not surprising, the higher fiber consumers had what? Higher whole grain, higher high fiber cereals, higher vegetables, higher fruits, and lower intake of discretionary foods, right? So then when we look into, okay, what specific food groups were different between the two groups. The top sources in the high fiber consumers were ready to eat breakfast cereals. It contributed the most. There was also more whole grains, more vegetables, more variety in the food sources of fiber in the diet. Um, but among the low consumers, there was less variety. It was more white bread, pasta, and potato. But yeah, it's still contributing quite a lot. So white bread contributed 17% of the low, of fiber intakes in low consumers. So it's from my perspective as a dietitian, it's really easy. Choose 
the equivalent with higher fibers. So it might be white bread fortified with fiber or switched to whole, whole grain because it can potentially have a huge impact on, on fiber intake. Um, but both diets, you know, breakfast cereals featured, breads feature, and fruits and vegetables are quite high in the high consumers. So it's really, it's what we recommend as dietitians, but then there's proof. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Why we should recommend it. And it's, you know, um, by keeping in mind that generally, fiber intake was low in the high fiber consumers. There was definitely substantially more meeting the fiber targets. And, and probably fairly recently, over the past few years, there's been this trend towards carbohydrate restriction or low carb diets for a whole range of reasons. Has this impacted or how does it and can it impact on, on fiber intake? Well, yeah, it can impact on, on fiber uh, intake and quite a lot because a lot of the foods that are sources of fiber obviously are sources of carbohydrate by definition. So there's actually research from the Australian Longitudinal Study of Women's Health showing that you know those in the lowest um, carbohydrate consumers versus the highest carbohydrate consumers had substantially lower consumption of the cereals, fruits, uh, and high fiber breads. So it can compromise fiber intake. but Often when people are cutting out carbs, they cut out like fruits, <laughs> you know, things that they shouldn't be cutting out. Um, and I think if you want to follow a lower carbohydrate diet and meet your fiber targets, you can, and it's definitely possible. Um, and you should be looking at things like your nuts and your seeds and cutting out discretionary carbohydrates as a, a first step. And there are products in the market with quite a lot of fiber that are low carb, like some low carb loaves. And you can get more than 10 grams of fiber in the, in the low-carb product. So it is possible, but watch out because by default, you're cutting out fiber. Yeah, yeah. A lot, so of, again, a lot of sources, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just a matter of um, choosing which carbohydrate foods you're restricting. And we know that those discretionary foods are probably often very high in carbohydrates um, and exactly. there's definitely room room to sh shift those. Um, yeah. So can we look, so we've talked about generally about fibre and that Australians overall could do with increasing their total fibre intake, but can you tell us a bit more about prebiotic fibre specifically and what effect it has on gut health? Sure. So prebiotic, um, the, the term prebiotics is basically their nutrients, the bacteria break down. You know, it's, they, they selectively choose it, they eat it, they ferment it, and it results in changes in our, our gut. Um, lumen. So it's it's basically the amount of bacteria and the composition of bacteria change, which then results in a health benefit to the host or to us. Um, we've it's really interesting because this is a it's quite a new space relatively in nutrition, you know, prebiotic fibers. Um, they're fibers because we know, like I said at the start, it gut health and fiber is not just about gut function anymore. It's not just mm. about digestive health. It's now linked to, to the whole system, the whole body. And this is one of the reasons uh, why it's linked. It's because, you know, prebiotic fiber specifically can feed our, our good bugs in the gut and kind of selectively get rid of the bad bugs um, and keep the microorganisms that we want in there. Um, but we used to think that really all prebiotics are fibers, but now we're even seeing that, you know, polyphenols um, can, can feed our, our gut microbiota. So my analogy with like, what is a prebiotic fiber? It's basically food, it's the main energy source for bacteria and they love it. So imagine there's a bunch of people in the desert and you dump a bunch of food, you're gonna keep them alive. But if you're not dumping that food, they will eventually die, right? Um, so it's really, really important to, to feed 
to eat prebiotics because it's basically from the diet. It's, that's where you can get it or, or supplements, obviously, but we have to consume it. And prebiotic fibers are found in quite a lot of foods like asparagus, beetroot, your basic garlic and onion, um, banana, honey. So there's more to honey, right? Than just sugar. Mm. Really, I love that because, you know, there's tradition and then science catches up and we're like, <laughs> oh, okay, it's antimicrobial, but it's also prebiotic. <laughs> um, and there's even in seaweed in microalgae. But the problem is that prebiotic fibers exist in really small amounts, right? In nature, the concentration is quite low. So they're now being manufactured at larger scales so they can be added to food products because we know the importance of having prebiotic and dumping the food supply in the desert for, for the bacteria to have. And it can also be found now in um, fortified in products like breads, yogurts, milks. And generally, um, the type of prebiotic fiber that's added is inulin. And inulin comes from chicory root. And it's if you haven't seen what chicory root looks like, it's like a mixture of like turmeric and garlic, but more like a parsnip. Oh. <laughs> and you can consume it, um, but that's, again, a really high source, and it's extracted from chicory root and then added to to products for that yeah. boost of Gee, I mean, the, the, our understanding of fibre has just come so far, hasn't it? And I think when I trained as a dietitian, we're going back a long way, but it was insoluble versus soluble, and it was kind oh, of yeah. groundbreaking that it might have an effect on cholesterol rather than just keeping you regular. Yeah. You know, that was sort of the, the big um, area was that, oh, wow, it has a metabolic effect as well. So, And exactly. now we've got prebiotic fibres and we've got resistant starches and we've got so many other aspects um, to the fibre story. I know, even, even in my career, like the definition of fibre has changed so much, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and there's so much even within, you know, the, the inulins and uh, what is really inulin and, and fructans and fuzz and goss and FODMAP and like yeah. it's just different it's sometimes language. hard to keep up yeah. well, so <laughs> and if we, really understand it <laughs> if we look at um inulin then can you explain a little bit more about inulin to us so inulin is really if you just imagine a bunch of like fructosyl polymers bounded together in different chain lengths and amounts so you've got um inulin um you've got fructooligosaccharides and uh, GOS, so your galactoligosaccharides. So they're basically the prebiotic fibers that, that exist that are highly fermentable because of that polymerization. Um, and the bacteria just love to, to break it because our enzymes can't break it apart. Um, so it's basically just a bunch of like, in layman's terms, similar to fructose bound together in different chain sizes um and highly fermentable by our gut bacteria inulin specifically has been shown to be the most fermentable um so it's like I, 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 my example is like you know lollies and it's the bacteria the kids and the kids are the star and they go oh my god you mean i can have as much as i want <laughs> and they go nuts like they really prefer it. yes they'll eat other things but they really love you know um Anyway, <laughs> yeah. it's high, highly, highly fermentable. <laughs> yeah, which is which is what you want a prebiotic to be, isn't it? That's that's its whole health giving benefit is that it's fermented by the bacteria. Which is right. So I haven't even said the basics, which is prebiotic, so like for bacteria. Yeah, yeah. It's really, the the, the definition. <laughs> and so inulin. You said that it can be added um, to foods, but natural sources of inulin. Where where does it occur naturally? So Jerusalem artichokes, which are seasonal, which I absolutely love cooking if you haven't experimented with them. But then your basics that you season dishes. That's what's so, so great. It's not in high amounts, but you can 
add it every day because it's in leeks, onions. It's also found in wheat, garlic, and asparagus, which we've just come out of our asparagus season. It's been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so we all should be rich in inulin at the moment. Um, so, okay, so we've talked a little bit about prebiotics and the fact that they're fermented and, and that gives a benefit. But can you explain a bit more about um, how they actually get that positive effect on gut health? Sure. So remember that the food we're eating, the prebiotic fibers are energy sources for the bacteria, right? That's the desert and you're yep. giving them food to survive. When they do eat it, they produce short chain fatty acids. So your lactic acid, butyric acid and propionic acid. And those short chain fatty acids have an effect on our body in multiple ways. But a one way, which not many people may realize, is just by modifying the environment in the gut. Because they're acids, they make it more acidic. They decrease the pH. And a decrease in pH by just one point, from you know, 6.5 to 5.5, can have a huge impact on the population of the microbiota in the gut. And even when they ferment and produce the short-chain fatty acid, there's other microorganisms in the gut that they feed, which is called cross-feeding. Um, and those short-chain fatty acids are, are, are molecules that result in communication across the body. We all know about the brain um, effect, but being really relevant to the, to the pandemic, um, there's actually research showing that prebiotic interventions, although mostly in infants and children, can actually result in a reduction in upper respiratory tract infections. So having a, a healthy gut microbiota can impact your immune system, your antibody response, your brain, your heart, your bones, your skin. It's just incredible. And, and that's why it makes me nervous when, you know, we know that fiber intake is so low. Mm. So therefore prebiotic will be so low. And it's just so important for, for maintaining a healthy body. So that research on, on kids, it's with Professor Lisa Woods research at Newcastle Uni, so local uh, Australian research. And it was a 27% reduction in upper respiratory tract infections. Wow. So it's very powerful, the impact, and that's using prebiotics. Yeah, okay. And um, any of the uh, studies that we talk about today, um, we'll put um, the links to those um, in the show notes. So anyone listening and would like to have a little bit more information can go to those. Um, now, there was also, I understand, recently a systematic review published looking at inulin and its effects specifically on gut health. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what that um, publication found? Yes, it's uh, so exciting to see that research. And it was published by Le Bastard and all. And I'm not mispronunciating. Yeah. <laughs> it's an awesome um, last name. So that was published in September 2021. And obviously, just to recap, um, you know, you've got inulin that's highly fermentable by bacteria, it produces short chain fatty acids. So their research question was, you know, let's summarize all the, the RCTs that exist and see if we actually see an impact in the gut microbiota. So profile um, the bacteria that are the resident in the gut pre-post intervention with um, inulin specifically as the prebiotic fiber. They included nine randomized trials, which were mostly crossover studies, mostly healthy populations, but there were a couple of populations with IBS. And they found a very clear link and consistent across studies that it results in an increase in the abundance of bifidobacterium. So there was different, more or less inconsistent in other um, genus of bacteria, but bifidobacterium was really consistent um, increase. 
And then if you're trying to think, okay, well, how much do you have to consume at what dose? Um, so most of the studies showed an effect ranging between five to 20 grams per day that had that bifid bifidogenic effect. Um, and so five, five grams per day is really feasible, especially if you're eating the foods and potentially having that extra supplement from um, food fortified with inulin. Yeah, so five grams is not all that much, is it? I mean, that's, as you say, that's a pretty realistic kind of target that people exactly. would be able to get. Yeah, and there's actually, there's a paper, it was, it's not included in that systematic review, but there's actually a dose-response paper by Bunik in 2007 that looked at different doses of inulin and the effect in um, the gut microbiome, and they found doses as low as two and a half. Right. So potentially, but I'm like, you know, I wouldn't be focused so much on those. Just as long as you're having fiber and including prebiotic fiber, then you're doing a lot better than previously. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because we're not eating enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and and so, sorry, Jane, it was really interesting too that there's a cumulative effect over time too. So it's not necessarily oh, that okay. you'll just, you know, um, dump, feed the bacteria, and then if you don't give any more food, then they don't survive. Because obviously probably like us, you know, if you're eating, you have more reserves, you have like that community effect that mm. might last longer and be accumulative rather than just that specific dose response that you would see. Um, but I guess that, that also sort of reinforces the message of continue the consumption. You don't just have a week of a high fiber, high prebiotic diet, and then um, go back to what you were having before as an intervention. Exactly. It's, it's Because ongoing. just like humans, you need the constant source of energy, otherwise they won't survive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so are there, so you talked a little bit about the dose response and possibly as low as 2.5, but definitely probably over five would be beneficial. Um, is there a downside to inulin? Yeah, so the, the systematic review, actually, they talked about side effects, but they didn't actually investigate it systematically and report on it. But we know with um, all the foods that are actually rich in inulin and rich in prebiotic fiber tend to be FODMAP foods, right? Yes. They're higher in FODMAPs. So with, but with any fiber. So imagine the poor bacteria in the desert, they haven't been fed for days then all of a sudden you dump like a feast. They're going to mm. go nuts, right? And when they go nuts, they produce a lot of gas. So if you are like most Australians, uh, you know, patients that are like most Australians that don't have a lot of fiber, you can't go to the, my, you know, my example of the, a day of fiber mm. straight away because it will result in, you know, bloating and gas and, and symptoms because it's just a bacteria actually eating <laughs> and yeah. loving it. So it's really important to introduce it quite slowly because it can produce a lot of gas. Yeah. And I think if some people necessarily, if you are, um, do you have IBS, but some people are FODMAP sensitive. So if you, if you know you're FODMAP sensitive, introduce, you know, low amounts and not don't go too hard, too quick to get yeah. the benefit. And, and we know that like everyone uh, these will cause fermentation in everyone. It's just that some exactly. people are more sensitive to these bloating and distension and, and pain um, than exactly. others. Yeah. And you would be the same with any food, right? If you all of a sudden you go have like you go to Brazil because <laughs> yeah. the rice and beans are a staple and then you just have beans like three times a day. It's yeah. It's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so your body will get used to it. The The bacteria will get to a point where they've, 
kind of had enough um yeah, and i'll be continuing to be there yeah. yeah so it'll be like it's like a buffet for the first time yeah. you go nuts and then once you get used to the second third day in the hotel you're like okay i'll just choose what i want yeah yeah <laughs> i don't have yeah. to try everything yeah so they if the key is to minimize any adverse you know bloating or gas or, or discomfort is to introduce it slowly small amounts and then you'll eventually get used to it because the bacteria will get used to it yeah so which is a, a good message for dietitians who might be working with patients probably specifically with ibs because we know that a low fodmap diet is only meant to be short term and we know that it also does mean that you're restricting prebiotic fiber so that introductory it's just a watch out for your client and for the dietitian that there may yeah. be some transient side effects as you're starting to reintroduce things but it's not yeah. a reason to stop so th- those doses which most people would probably I only achieve anyway of two and a half to five mm. grams per day are quite well tolerated in, in healthy individuals. Um, and it obviously those without IBS. So if you do have IBS, you go even lower dose and introduce it and see how you go. But it does settle right after yeah. a few days. It's not a permanent side effect. Okay. So uh, if, if people are looking to increase their probiotics and, and maybe look at um, where um, they can increase inulin, and we've mentioned that there's a number of um, commercial products that um, have inulin added to them now, what sort of foods um, can inulin be added to? Oh, now inulin's it's it's everywhere really. It's quite interesting and it's really good for us to be able to have choice. So it's from breads to cereals, yogurts, milks. It's really found in a range of foods. Um, because inulin has um, the 60 degree of polymerization, it's a longer chain. It's also really good at giving mouthfeel. So sometimes it's also added to products that are lower in fat, like a low fat yogurt to give that nice mouthfeel and then you have the pre and probiotic, I guess, in it as well. Um, so, yeah, so it's in that range of foods. And the best way is to read the label um, and see if it has like chicory root extract or chicory root anything, um, or if it specifically says it has inulin. <clears throat> but if a food just says like prebiotic, it doesn't necessarily mean that it um, has that health claim around prebiotic being good for gut health. So if, if a product has a claim, then you can just go look up on the Fazen's website. We can share that link too. There's actually six health claims uh, currently notifying of the link between inulin and gut health. So if you're interested in products that do have that claim, you'll see it on pack. But if a product just says prebiotics, then it means it just contains prebiotics. It might not have the, the amount required to make a health claim. Yeah, okay, which is a good point. So for dietitians who do want to know more about the labels and what the claims mean, Fazan's website is a good place to go um, and have a look and get better understanding. Because I think you do need to be able to communicate that to your patients or clients as well as what those on-pack words actually mean. And it might not even be like unpack, right? It might just be an ingredients list. So uh, anytime you see, I guess, higher fiber content, um, it's always interesting. I find interesting to know where it's coming from. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It's so nice to know. If, if we think about um, all of the work that you've d- done and we've covered it really briefly today, so very, fairly top line, but as I said, we'll put some of those links to papers um, in the show notes. But what are, what are the sort of the key messages that you would like dietitians to take away from this discussion about prebiotics and in particular inulin? Okay, so the, the first key message is that we all know dietary fibre is important for health. 
And we also know now it's important for just general health and we know Australians aren't getting enough. So it's definitely something we need to be encouraging, you know, Australians to eat more of. We know that Australians are getting most of their fiber from grain foods, but that's also because they're not eating enough of the others, fruits, vegetables, legumes, and nuts. So we need to encourage, uh, you know, um, Aussies to eat more fiber from foods where possible. Um, and if you can't get it from foods, then obviously you can look at supplementing. But given the top source of fiber um, in the low fiber consumers was white bread, I think it's really nice to have a switch to a whole grain or higher fiber variety because that's a minimal intervention, you know, as a dietitians, rather than saying really up all the core foods in your diet, you're already doing it. And same with pasta, right? Pasta was up there in the low fiber consumers, so choosing a whole grain, whole grain version. And also that we know that prebiotics are extremely important. So we need to be getting more prebiotic fiber in our diets. Um, so along with increasing those fruits and vegetables and nuts and legumes, we can be looking at products that have added prebiotic fiber for that boost. So we can boost our microbiome and consequently our health. Yeah. And I think, you know, dietitians, we probably feel like we've been banging on about eat more fruits and vegetables forever. Um, I know. This just adds another reason and a really good reason to boost fibre intake. And as you say, some really simple ways of doing it. And, you know, people are already consuming cereals, so we can just optimise the types of cereals that they're choosing and getting it. And, and again, you know, as you say, it's it's not just about, you know, keeping you regular, which is important, obviously, but this whole topic of gut health um, moves into immunity, brain health, skin health, so many other areas. And so there's bound to be a little nugget in there that really triggers your patients to want to increase their fibre and increase their probiotic fibre. So I think um, you've given us a really, really nice overview today, Flavia, and we appreciate your time in going into your your research area and um, and looking at inulin. And we would always um, suggest that clients or anyone in the general population um, see a dietitian for sort of personalised help around improving their diet and making it a a gut-friendly diet specifically. So we'd also like to thank Birgit again for supporting this podcast. And Flavia, thanks, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Jane. It was a pleasure. To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.